0: So I'm kind of bummed. So I every time before the eight talk, I try to find a video that's kind of relative to what we're talking about. So I read this book, and I love the the, the author, Simon Sinek. So I found this video. And I couldn't go to Amazon Prime to order a box of these books, so that way I can so I can tease it, at least we can have it on the connection table. But it's delayed, and it's now at my house right now. It came this morning uh, to the Amazon, so I'm gonna return that. But anyway, if you know the name of the book, you can go get it yourself anyway welcome to the eight we are talking about leadership real quick but i want to say something about simon sinek i met him at a christian uh conference on a christian leadership conference and what i love about him is that he is he he delivers divine truth he delivers truth of leadership to corporations to fortune 500 companies all across the world but he's centralizing around jesus leadership without ever throwing out or putting down, you know, Jesus down people's throat. He's evangelizing by teaching leadership to, to big hotshot companies all across the country, but he does it in such a wise and soothing way. I love what he said about the Marines. He talked about leadership is not an authority. It is a responsibility. So I love of how he delivers and how he talks about leadership. What we are going to talk about today is that every person that you admire, anyone that you admire any leader that you admire there is a one virtue that you will find in every leader and every leader that you do not like there's a common thread of a virtue they do not have this leadership virtue that we will talk about is actually the reason of why Christianity became so successful this leadership virtue that I will talk about explains why a Jewish cult why a Jewish cult ended up following a crucified leader. Why A a group, a cult of Jewish leaders, a a group of of Jewish people ended up following the leader who was crucified. They had no territory, they had no military, and they had no authority. Not only did this group of, of this Jewish cult, which we know now as being the early Christians, not only did they just survive, but they thrived. In the exact same empire that was trying to take them down, the Roman Empire was trying to take them down, ended up becoming followers of Christ themselves because of this leadership virtue in which they saw in Jesus of Nazareth. What makes Jesus so radical and so out there, and why he changed the course of history, is because he not just to say to make everyone nice, make everyone be good people, but he completely changed everything and he came to bring something brand new. What many of us are used to, what many of us are used to in the corporate world and how many things are run in the world, it's everything starts from the top down. The top guy makes all the shots, he makes all the money, he has all the authority, and he he makes all the shots. Everyone else is kind of lower than him. This is how many things are run. What made Jesus so radical is that he flipped everything upside down and that it ended up becoming upside down how he approached many things throughout his ministry. What I do want to do is I want to highlight a certain miracle that we know uh, that happened with Jesus, which we know recorded in, in the manuscripts or early records of Jesus' life, which we know is being called the Gospels, it is the rising of Lazarus. Let's take a step back before we kind of jump into this event that occurred. Lazarus was a hotshot guy throughout town. Like everyone knew who Lazarus was. But he was a very wealthy man, and everyone kind of knew who he was. So when he died, it was a big deal when Lazarus died. Uh, but it was even a bigger deal when Jesus came to rise him up from the dead. I mean, he was dead dead, and Jesus rose him from the dead. And the, the beautiful thing, I, so if you look at this picture, if you're not used to seeing ancient Christian icons, this looks kind of funny. Like, icons actually are intentionally supposed to look a little bit funny to our eyes. They're intended to never look real. Because it's not just a painting, it's not supposed to depict something historically, but it, it compresses various divine elements into one icon. So it compresses so many different divine truths and there's so much meditation and reflection that I can get from this. It's not just a historical event that's captured through paint, but it captures so much divine truth. Just to point out a couple of things from this icon, maybe it's hard to see, but around Jesus' head is a halo and you will see three lines, two together and one separate. This is supposed to reflect the divine truth of how God is divine and he's human, but into one. So this reflects that through two two lines being divine and human, but the the divinity and the humanity of him are one in him. Something else you'll notice is the way Jesus' hands are. He's going like this, as if he is reflecting, saying, this is temporal, your body, your struggle, your death, but you're made for something so much more. I came to point to something bigger. I'm here to point to your eternal home. To show him that he's pointing from, from this to this. And this is the reality of who Jesus is. God became man in order for us to become like God. You also see in this icon, you see a gentleman on the side moving the tomb of where Lazarus was, where he was dead. We don't know who he is, but the reflection that we can capture from this ancient Christian icon is that, okay, maybe I'm called to, to help someone who is in death. Maybe who is struggling with an addiction, with a, 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 just, a, you know, anxiety, whatever the case may be, maybe I'm called to get them outside of death from darkness. Maybe I'm called to point them to who Jesus is because Jesus points them to new life. Who in my life do I need to remove that tomb or even guide them to moving this? Maybe I need to have a conversation with that person. Maybe I just need to be an active listener to that friend or family member to maybe help them to realize they're made for something so much for so much more these are just three components of this this icon and we can have an entire sermon of just looking at all the various elements in this icon but that's for another time what i would love for us to join in is what occurred after this historic event that's recorded by first eyewitnesses and many other people of Jesus rising somebody who has been completely dead for many days, rising him from the dead. And this obviously caused a huge, like this was headline news all throughout town of, of this occurring. Not just because Lazarus is popular, just because Jesus raised somebody from the dead and everyone saw him. he was dying and he was decaying. Like, he, like his, there was a smell coming from him, from him being dead and how Jesus gave him new life. We jump right into the record from a first eyewitness in John the Evangelist. But some of them went to the Pharisees, like who, who the, some of them who saw, who were first eyewitnesses of seeing Lazarus aside from the dead, they went to the Pharisees. Pharisees were the hotshot Jewish leaders of the town. But so some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees, the hotshot people of the town, called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, to us right now, is equivalent to basically like the Supreme Court. So imagine like the, the, the Supreme Court. This is where like, they make big decisions of the town. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Fellows, what are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. The Pharisees were smart people. And they understood that their position, their status, their authority was in jeopardy. And they realized all the stuff that Jesus was doing wasn't just like haphazard, just wasn't like random supernatural events. They realized that everything that Jesus was doing were signs to point to something so much bigger. And they said, guys, what are we doing? Are we just going to allow Jesus to do all these supernatural events all around town? This is jeopardizing our position of authority and influence around town. Because they knew something new was coming through Jesus. They continue. If we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Fellas, our job is at risk here. Our authority, us being at the top, we are in jeopardy of what Jesus is doing. Because Jesus is coming to replace everything that we know. So so some from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Because Jesus saying, "Okay, you know what, I'm not going to cause any unnecessary drama. If they're trying to come after me, you know, let me just kind of hang low for a while. You know, I don't want to, you know, cause anything right now. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. They're coming not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. If you've zoned out up to now, you might take a nap after this. This is fine. Just pay attention to this one thing: we are followers of Christ, not purely on faith. We follow Jesus because of evidence, which is a catalyst then to faith people wanted to come and see lazarus because this was evidence of him rising from the dead they wanted to see jesus but they also wanted to see first eye evidence witness of lazarus rising from the dead our pursuit of jesus is not just because the bible tells us so our pursuit of jesus is just because we just need to have faith yes we need to have faith but it is based on evidence of first eye witnesses who experienced and how their life was rocked because of their life with jesus so the chief priest, made plans, you can fill if you want. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For so on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The hotshot leaders, the authority people, they understood that they needed to get rid of Lazarus because this is, this is, an this is evidence of who Jesus is and of his supernatural events and miracles that he's doing. So if they got rid of the evidence, maybe Jesus would have less Falling. so the chief priests made plans to kill those Lazarus as well but on account of him many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him They started to believe in him because of the evidence they saw of what Jesus did so the Pharisees said to one another this is getting us nowhere Look how the whole world has gone after him. When we talk, we talk, like, I, I, just in our culture, we say, man, everybody was there, man. We say everybody was there. Like, we say it just, we kind of just say it very sarcastically. But when they're saying that the whole world is falling, they are noticing that the entire city, the flow of traffic of every like, everything was being changed because of what Jesus did and what he was doing. They realized the whole world is going after him. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. So let's pause right here, what's going on. So now, like, Jesus is obviously the talk of the town, and there is a, there is a very big Jewish holiday coming up, which is Passover. So everyone is now making their way down to Jerusalem to celebrate this this big holiday. But there's crowds, just tons of people around him, just tons of people around him. They have, like, they're just full of emotions. The disciples are around him. They're full of emotions. The people also that are, are not as disciples are, are trying to figure out they their trying. They want to see, maybe they can see another event. A miracle, something from Jesus. There's just a wide array of emotions going on all around Jesus. So Jesus took the 12 of us hey, hey, no time. Before we, before we go into celebrating the feast of, of Passover, let's pull to the side over right here. Real quick. Let's pull over to the side uh, of the road. Let other people go behind us. We need a chat. We are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said. And the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise." You can just imagine right now, the disciples, they're hearing Jesus say this, they're like, "What?" We're, like, the most popular we've ever been. I was, like, a nobody fisherman before. I was, like, whatever. Now, like, like everyone wants my autograph. Like, I'm, like, the proper guy in town because of you, Jesus. What do you mean, like, the thing is going to go down? And you're going to be dying. Like, what do you mean? Like, everyone's following. You see me behind us? People are waiting for us to get back on the road for us to go to, to, to Jerusalem. Man, we're so popular. What are you talking about? Like, now I'm, I have so much authority and so much influence because of you. I'm at the top, baby. What are you talking about? Things are about to go down. Then James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him. To two of the disciples, hearing what, what Jesus just said, they said this, Peter, you know, with all respect, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, come on, before you sit there and judge James and John, kind of, don't we do that? You no, know, thank you God for this, but yeah, I really need you to help me with this in my marriage. I really need you to help me with this and work. I really need you to if you can give me a pay raise. I you need you to do this? We always come to God with respect and love, but then we ask what we want. Come on. So James and John are not any different than us. Want, teacher? I mean, that, I, mean, that, that, I mean, that kind of stinks for you. Things are about to go down. You're about to flog. I, I know that kind of stinks, but is it okay? Like, you know, like, teacher, can you mind doing something for us? Is that, is that okay? Is it okay for me to ask that? What do you want me to do? With all love and patience and grace, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you, James and John? He asked. They replied. He says, can't let one of us sit at your right and the other at the left in your glory? Like, you know, when, when you, you mentioned, like, you know, when all this happens, you're going to get died. Like, a- after all that, you said, like, you're going to rise. Can, can you make sure, hey, just, like, me, you and me? And just imagine now. Here's James and John pulling Jesus aside, pulling away from the disciples. Like, hey, do you mind, like, do you mind, like, when all this happens, can we make sure that you, like, me and my brother, can we kind of sit, like, next to you when, like, you know, when all this happens? And I like, man, what is James and, John, James and John talking to Jesus about? Then the ten heard this. They became indignant. They started becoming upset with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, Okay, hey, guys, come on, let, let's puddle back all together, no side conversations. You know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. And Jesus pulls them back and says, You know that those who were regarded as being hotshots, the top guys, the officials, they have authority, and they exercise their authority on those below them. And the disciples are like, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's kind of how we've seen that our entire life. That's how the St. Adrian is. That's how the Roman Empire is. Okay, where are you going? Like, duh, we know this is how the world runs. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, And they're like, yeah, we want to be great. That's why we're having this conversation, Jesus. Who wants to be great? Jesus is asking them, who wants to be great? They're like, yeah, we want to be great, Jesus. That's why we're here. We're so popular. We want to be great. Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Talking about a party pooper. Talking about killing the mood. What a paradox this you want to be great you got to serve you want to be first you have to be a slave to all they continue to walk they celebrate the passover in saint mark's house actually and upstairs our our patron saint and they get together and, you know, he tells some of the disciples, get everything ready, and you know, we're about to celebrate Passover. But the disciples are noticing there's something different about Like, this, is, this hasn't been, like, the same kind of Passover that I've celebrated my whole life since my childhood. There's like, something different about, about this Passover. As they come, Jesus pulls up a stool. He sits down, and he tells them to come. And the disciples are kind of confused because, like, they're waiting for a servant or a slave to come and, and, and to watch their feet and and Jesus is the one that kneels down takes a takes a cloth takes a towel wraps it around him tells each one of them to come one by one washes every toe washes every foot washes every ankle and they're trying to understand their teacher the rabbi the most popular Guy in town is washing our feet. This in the Roman Empire was appalling. Like, this was so reversed. Like, as we look at this icon, they're speechless. They don't even know what to say as Jesus is washing their feet. This is appalling to the culture. This is counter cultural. But through this action, this is what made christianity so appealing because of jesus showing you want to be great wash feet and then jesus tells them i know you don't get this and i know you're not even going to get what we're about to partake of because passover as you know it is completely different as far as what we're about to partake of now you are called to do this to others There is a part every time we celebrate the fulfillment of the Passover, which we know as being the Eucharist, which is an integral part to early Christianity and continues to be the central component of who we are as ancient Christians, as Orthodox Christians. When we come together to celebrate the body and blood of Jesus, we pray this He instituted for us this great mystery. Of godliness what is this mystery that this bread and this wine is the son of god that's there's nothing i can do to comprehend that that what i'm abiding in now i am tapping into the reality of who jesus is and that i am partaking of the divine i am partaking of medicine of immortality This is a mystery of godliness, and this is what he instituted for us to abide. Then we pray this. Uh, Sorry, as we're saying this, the priest is sensing the bread and the wine. We're saying, God, you have instituted for us this great mystery of godliness. Why do we use incense? Why do we use smoke? Because God told us. Don't, 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 don't overcomplicate it. There's no theological thing. God says, when you worship me, worship me with, with incense. We don't, we're not, we're not, okay, thank you, Jesus. We do that. We don't read it to anything. We don't like one say, oh right, no, no, we don't do this. No, Jesus says, if I tell you I want an iPad for my birthday, you better give me an iPad. When I tell you what I want, you get it. So God made it clear, worship me with, with incense. Okay, yes, sir. We worship with incense. So we do that. We honor in the, this mystery of godliness, something beyond our comprehension. That this bread and wine this tangible, it's visible to us, is actually, we are at the Last Supper. We are at the mystical supper when we partake of this body and of this blood. For being determined. For Jesus being determined to give himself up to death for life. Being determined being focused, being a slave, being a servant. He gave himself up to death for the life of not me, not you, for the entire world. And you respond, we believe this. How to give life. How are you called to give life to death for the life for the world. There is so many different directions we can take this, but I want to give two very small questions for you to sleep on, for you to ponder about, for you to kind of chew in your mind and your heart as you leave the A. For you to apply this, how can you give life to others in the same way of what Jesus established in such a, 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 a paradox way, in a way that kind of blew their mind? This is so upside down. This is flipping leadership as we know it. How can you apply this? Here are two questions. I would love for this to be embedded in your language, in your culture, in your marriage, in your relationships, and your conflicts, at work, at home. I would love for you to apply these two questions. For you to ask to a coworker, to your spouse, to a friend, to your boyfriend, to your girlfriend, what can I do to make your job easier? I know you got a lot going on these days, and I, and I'm sorry. What can I do to make your life easier? Hey, I know the deadline's coming up. What can I do to make it th- work better for the team? What can I do to lighten your load? Throw that question, because the second you ask that question, they like, "What?" It's it, nobody does that. Nobody does that. Everyone's trying to feel like what, what I do my part. That's it. I remember the co projects You do your part, the rest is up. That's that's on them. But now be countercultural flip leadership upside down because this is what Jesus has asked of you and me for us to rock the world what can I do what can I do to make your job easier I know you have a lot on your plate what can I do maybe somebody in your life is going through a crisis through a tough time where you don't even know what to say and you, you know you, you, there's nothing to say and what, so what's our exit strategy for everything uh, I'll pray for you alright take care alright in addition to prayer What is one thing I can do to lighten your load? I know what you're going through is there's not much that can be done. But what is one thing, in addition to prayer, what is one thing I can do to lighten your load? You asking that gives light. Going back to the icon of Lazarus, that's you moving the tone for somebody to go from darkness to life. Just by throwing that question. Even if you don't get an answer, they're even pondering. They're taken back. Maybe they'll come back to you the next day, the next Sunday, the whatever, and say, hey, I mean, you asked me one thing you can do. I kind of thought about it. I'd love and appreciate it if you do whatever. This is leadership. Flipping authority to serve others. Just imagine. Imagine what our marriages would look like. Imagine what your workplace would look like. Imagine what your social circle would look like. If these were the questions we threw out for being determined for us to give life to others in the same way our Savior did. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we know that this topic, that living this out is super hard for all of us. Because our natural reflex for all of us, including myself, is for me to do what's best for me, what's convenient for me, what's best for me, and putting everything and everyone else secondary. But Jesus, you came in flesh to make it tangible, to make it real, and you showed us the way we are called to lead others in our home and our work and in outside. Lord, help us to embrace that and strengthen us to, to, to apply that and to execute that. Because we know our, our country can be different if we apply this, that we can make people just scratch their head when we ask these questions. Help us to apply it. Give us, the, give us the, just a the push for us to, to live this out. What can I do to lighten your load? For being determined, God, you instituted for us a mystery of godliness, and you gave yourself up unto death, not just for my life, but for the entire world. Through the prayers of St. Mark the Apostle and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us to stay our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.